Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 70. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we speak with Sean Higgins, an accomplished cybersecurity professional and one of the co-founders of the Herjavec Group. Hello, Sean. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Um, to get things started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? I'm Sean Higgins. I've uh, been in cybersecurity for almost 30 years. Wow, it seems I feel old now just because I say that. Been in it since businesses started to get into cybersecurity and have done a lot of interesting things. And, you know, one of which is I co-founded Herjavec Group and I was there for 19 years. About a year ago, I decided it was time for me to step away. And now I'm doing cybersecurity consulting where I help companies, uh, you know, understand where they are in cybersecurity and help them figure out what their journey looks like. Because everybody's journey in cybersecurity is different. What size of companies do you generally help? Is it small, medium-sized business? Usually it's small to medium-sized because the larger companies do have their own CISO, though I have worked with large companies over the years to help them. You know, they like to, I mean, I was brought into a Fortune 100 company by their board to say, we're spending millions of dollars on cybersecurity. Why are we doing this? And you know, I was able to go in there, help understand their program and say, okay, this is why we're doing it. So the board invited me back a few times too. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's the catch-22 in security, right? If you're doing your job right, it's hard to show value because nothing bad's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, a lot of a lot of technical people have a hard time talking to boards, which are at a much higher level. Do you notice that there's a greater awareness from small and medium-sized business as it pertains to cybersecurity now than five, six years ago? Yes and no. Uh, you know, I think some of the companies that I've dealt with, they, they have a mandate to do something in security. Like, for example, I was dealing with a company that produced a software product and that was on, it became a SaaS service. So they had to become SOC 2 compliant. So they brought me in to help them get on that road to become SOC 2 compliant. Other companies I've been involved with, they've had they had a security incident, and their their people are telling them, "Hey, we got to do something, you know." So let's bring this on. Another interesting twist that I'm waiting to see how it's going to unfold is the new SEC regu- SEC regulations saying, you know, when you put out your board reporting, so if you're a public company. You have to specify certain things in there about cybersecurity, like, you know, what are you doing about it? What experience do you have? How are you doing things? So I'm waiting because that's that's going to re- really starts hitting towards the end of this year, I believe, is when it people start seeing it in their filings and seeing what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. I know there's been some uh, pretty strict reporting requirements put in in the last few years after a company has a breach. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't like using that term. I never talk about breaches. I talk about incidents. Legal decides if it's a breach. I see. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as you mentioned, you've had a very long and interesting career in technology. You did an undergrad in computer science, followed by a master's in electrical engineering and applied physics. What initially got you interested in technology, and what did you think you would end up doing when you set out on that journey in higher education? I get involved in uh, computers back in high school. 
way back when I started high school, our school got their first computer. It was a TRS-80. And I just, as the school learned about the computer, I learned about the computer. And I just grew with it and continued to play with it. Matter of fact, I had an independent study my senior year of high school to write a program to do the attendance for the school. So uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just a lot of fun for me. And, you know, when it came down to it, I, was, I had a choice of going to Penn State for engineering or Purdue University for computer science. And I said, you know what? I like this computer thing. Let's give it a try. And I really didn't know where it would take me. You know, I just knew I loved computers and uh, figured I'd, you know, see where it would take me. Now, that's great. It's nice to end up working in a field that you actually enjoy. Right out of school, it looks like you landed at General Electric for about six years as a system analyst before taking on the role of CTO at Brack Systems, which eventually sold to AT&T. What was it like to go from being a system analyst into a leadership role and eventually into what looked like a pretty healthy exit for that time around 2000 when the dot-com bubble was as big as it was going to get? You know, it was it was a it was a big shift going from uh, General Electric to Barack. General Electric, I was writing programs to count light bulbs. Okay, you know, it wasn't that exciting, but it was exciting because it was you know just being involved in technology and you know manufacturing was interesting to learn about. When I went to Barack, it started. We started doing lots of different interesting technologies. You know, we started out by bridges, routers. We brought the first Cisco router to Canada. We did microwave links. Oh, my gosh. I did the first mic- private microwave link between the U.S. and Canada. Wow. So that was that was a lot of, well, it was interesting to be up on top of a 150-foot tower lining a dish. But about the middle 90s, that's when companies decided, you know, instead of having dedicated links between our offices, why don't we use virtual private networks between our companies over the internet to save some money? So Brack Systems brought Checkpoint Firewalls to Canada, and we just shifted our entire business to implement firewalls for companies. We did it for big and small companies. I mean, I did it, did it for several banks across Canada, implementing their firewall technologies. And then about 2000, that whole, you know, the uh, the company was sold to AT&T Canada and, you know, I stayed with them for a few years. Uh, did you eventually take any time off to reflect on things and, and kind of figure out what you wanted to do next? Um, I didn't, you know, I just kind of kept working. Then uh, Robert sat down around in 2002 and says, you know, my daughter just went to school and I got nobody to play with. How about if we start another company? <laughs> so that's when I got in with him and uh, George Frempong to found uh, Hergevac Group. And it was fascinating because Robert was tied into the VCs at that time. And he brought three cool, these were hot technologies that, you know, were going to take the market by storm. And within the first six months, all three of those technologies were bought by major, major companies. IBM bought one. That technology was never heard of before. Network General bought another one, and they, who knows what happened to them over the years. Uh, and the third one was bought by McAfee. And McAfee had had a big footprint in security in, in the early 2000s where, you know, they were the endpoint solution. So they bought this other te- this technology that we had access to, but now we had hundreds of other companies that could sell it. So 
we went back to our roots, went back to Checkpoint and, you know, again, started to find interesting technologies. I mean, in 2004, the big issue that companies ran into was spam. So we found a cool technology and implemented anti-spam for lots of companies. Again, more banks, because banks are big in Canada. They had big anti-spam problems. Oh, my gosh. You know, this was early on in the spam market. Uh, what's the technique that you guys were implementing early on? Was it sort of fingerprinting what, what spam messages look like, or was it based on sender, or I'm just curious? It was fascinating technology. We bought. We worked with a company called CypherTrust, and they were probably on the leading edge of, if you want to call it, artificial intelligence machine learning. Because I remember talking to their CTO, you know, because what they would do is take, this is what he said, we take a million spam messages and a million good messages and we throw them into our analytics and that's how it configures the machine so and you know it does a whole did i think there were 10 or 12 different techniques that it used but it based it on this huge sample set interesting to figure it out yeah yeah it was fascinating so over the 20 years of your tenure at the Hershevec Group, it grew its revenue into hundreds of millions and became one of the top 100 MSSPs globally. What is that kind of ride like? Like, how does it go from you and Robert deciding to do something because you're bored to, you know, I'm, I'm assuming thousands of employees? You know, it went, it was, it was fast paced because it's always fast paced when you're working with Robert. Lots of interesting shifts and turns in the business. And uh, we had tried to get into the U.S. a number of times, but it just never seemed to work until about 2014. In 2014, this is Robert went and saw the CIO at one of the casinos down there. And, you know, like, you know, the, like most people, this he was on Shark Tank at the time. The guy just wanted to meet Robert. And... You know, he says, yeah, nice to meet you. If we have anything, we'll give you a call. A week later, they called Robert and said, we've had an incident. And, you know, asked Robert what he could do and said that, well, we can, you know, we can come out and assess your network and see if you got any issues with it. So we got that order and landed on my desk. So I picked, you know, we had a, uh, scope of work we had to do. I picked the five best people that, you know, I thought would do the best work down there for this company. And uh, I said, you know what, maybe I should go, you know, just because it's a big team, big, big company. And we went down there to, uh, this is for the Sands Casino, went down to their location in majestic Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And, you know, we were there for two weeks and we didn't, you know, it was interesting because we started taking over things in their organization. You know, we started taking over their firewall and just saying, okay, we'll run the firewall because their, their tech people were running all over the place trying to fix stuff. We said, we'll manage it. We'll rate the firewall policy. We'll take over this and that. And, you know, by the end of the day, we were running three or four technologies. And, as, as we're starting to send people home, because it's been two weeks, you know, we're starting to say, okay, we've been here for two weeks, or we've been working seven, well, seven days a week. 
I got a call and says, you got to be in Vegas tomorrow. So I went down to Vegas to meet with them. And uh, that started us on a journey that got us to all the Sands casinos, assessing their network properties, doing some other work for them. And that really got us our really our footprint into uh, into the U.S. What was fascinating was a few years prior to that, we had bought a company to do managed services. They were doing managed services and we brought them in and we were integrating them into us. Because of what we did for SANS, people would talk to us about the being an MSSP in the U.S. It was fascinating. They wouldn't talk to us about you if you said, hey, we want to sell you technology. Nope, got a partner for that. But they were all starting to look to be look for a managed service provider, a managed security service provider. And uh, that's really when it started to really start to take off for us, you know, grow faster than what we were seeing. Yeah. So you, you didn't set out to be a services company that just sort of became an opportunity that you took advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, going through the growth that our company is going through, I find there's, there's so many challenges, you know, things like burnouts, long hours, mm-hmm. stress. Did, uh-huh. did you experience that? And if so, did you develop any techniques or insights that helped you manage the, the all that comes with growing so fast inside of a company? Some of it was tampered by, at least for me, some of it was tampered by the fact that you know, there were so many changes going on, so many shifts that it kept me active in that respect. The other part for me is that when possible, to make sure that I took care of myself. And that means that I have to work out. If I don't work out, the stress level just continues to build. But by working out for me, that practice, I did a lot of, do a lot of writing all over the place and uh, meditation are three things that really helped keep me grounded in, in this scenario. Even when I was, you know, even when you're doing a cybersecurity incident, you know, you just got to slow it down and say, okay, what can we do next? Yeah, I've heard before that you need to slow down to speed up. Yes. Yeah. So along with possessing well-developed technical talent, it appears from the outside that you've also been putting a lot of your energy into developing yourself as a coach. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the intention is there and and what coaching can do for people? Yeah, I've spent a lot of my time uh, coaching, mentoring uh, university students. I was associated with the University of York with their career mentorship program. I did that for many years while I was in Toronto pre-COVID, you know, because it was in person and did a few times over COVID, but, you know, it's just not the same. So, you know, what I do is I talk with the individuals and understand where they are, you know, kind of like with security. Where are you in your journey? What are you looking to do? And how can I help you along that journey? And some of it is just advice. Some of it is just talking about, you know, potential career opportunities Some of it is talking about how to get jobs. And some of it is, you know, how can I help you manage stress? You know, so because a lot of times students are under so much stress because it's like, oh, my God, I got to get my certain grade point average, you know, so that I'll be recognized. Okay, okay, let's figure out how we can make that happen. You know, let's shift some little things along the way that can help you in the long term. Yeah, I kind of wish I had picked up some mentors early on in my career. I feel like it could have saved me some tough lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, do you have any general career advice or general advice for young technologists that are listening and and wondering how they can build a phenomenal career in cybersecurity? 
you know, when I think that, you know, I see a lot of young adults these days, they're, they're just trying to get in the market. And a lot of them are just trying to throw a wide net, you know, throw a lot of stuff on the wall, see what sticks, see what's there. What I tend to say is instead of throwing it on a wide net, focus in a narrow your focus. You know, just think of what is exciting for you today, because what you're doing today is definitely going to be different than what you're going to do 30 years from down the road. I mean, again, I started in programming. I wrote programs, and now I'm a consultant to help people with cybersecurity. Cybersecurity wasn't even a thing when I started, okay? So just think about those next few steps. You know, if you're, let's say, if you're interested in pen testing, you know, because I've talked to a couple of students recently that are into pen testing. Okay, what can you do in pen testing? Who are good companies for you to work for? Focus on those companies. You know, be very targeted in your approach. You know, instead of just sending them all resumes, send them a focused resume. Send them a focused cover letter. And I help them with that to say, okay, now let's, there you go. There's your focus. And here's the four or five companies you're going to look at. You know, really focus as opposed to just try to do everything. Because security, as you know, Chris, is a huge field. There are mm-hmm. so many different aspects to it. I mean, I haven't even touched all the aspects. I've touched a lot of them, but still, there's even more that I haven't touched. And some of them aren't as exciting to me either. So, you know, everything in security can't be exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is just compliance and uh, making sure that well, 2 FA is turned on and in the sort of monotonous yep. day-to-day policy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Well, great advice, I think, for anybody listening. This is the last one I have for you, and it's uh, the one that I ask of everybody that comes on the show. It can be as wide or as narrow as you want. Do you have any predictions for the future of cybersecurity? Well, first off, it's not going away. <laughs> you know, you got to keep your guard up. And, I, you know, I always like to start, you know, especially with individuals, is think about the basics. You know, the basics for cybersecurity. One of them is make sure everything is updated all the time. Okay. There's a patch Tuesday for a reason. Update your software. Number two, passwords. Get yourself a good password manager. Okay. Because your passwords are the key to everything these days. And having a password shared across multiple accounts is bad. Having random passwords is much better. And a password manager, password vault, will allow you to have multiple different passwords all randomly generated. I mean, my password today is 20 random characters. You know, we've got pass keys coming up. Make sure on your computer you have some type of endpoint protection. Antivirus or what they're calling today endpoint detection response today. Find something more, you know, that's advanced to protect your endpoint. More of the same is an answer that I've heard more than once on the show when I asked that question. So <laughs> it, It's going to shift and change because we're going to shift and change some of the technologies, but then they'll just find a different way yeah. to get in. But just, again, keep yourself updated. Protect your endpoints. Be careful where you're going. Have a good password manager. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think the hardware keys are going to become a very prominent thing in the not too mm-hmm. distant future. Yeah. I'm just waiting to see how it's going to roll out and how it's going to help. And, you know, what happened, you know, there, 
They're saying the pass key is going to be on my phone. Okay, what happens if I lose my phone? How do I fix that? And how easy is it to fix that? Because that's that's I'm waiting to see where that falls. So yeah, it sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. I want to try it because I like to play with technology. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody in this <laughs> give me industry a new technology. Does. Let me play with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, Sean. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It was a great conversation. Oh, it's glad to be with you and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Cheers. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie Community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.